Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Almost four years ago now, one of the best gifts that life has to offer was given to me. I became a dad. Uh, And it is by far one of the greatest blessings in my life, right? Like on a scale of, or on a list of the top blessings in my life, I consider fatherhood, being a dad to my girls, one of the greatest blessings. I love my girls, I love being their dad, but if I can be honest with you, it's also one of the hardest experiences of my life. Some days feel like heaven on earth. Like after I come home and and I ask Autumn if she can come give me a hug and she can come give me a kiss and she runs up to me and with all the strength she can muster, she just kind of warmly hugs me and loves me. Like I'm like, oh, this must be something like the presence of Jesus, right? It's like heaven on earth. And other days feel like the other place. (laughs) All the parents in here know exactly what I'm talking about, right? These are facts. This is facts. Both are true. And what's crazy to me is how someone can be so lovable and so cute, and at the same time, so not cute. We'll put it that way. And it's like this, I can't imagine a world without them. Like, I wouldn't hesitate to give my life for them, but when I'm with them for a good amount of time, I'm always ready to take a break from them. Now, before you judge me, or maybe it's already too late, uh, my guess is you're actually just like me. You're actually more like me than you think. See, whether you have kids or not, you can relate to what I'm saying. You can relate to the feeling that I'm talking about because all of us have really good things in our lives that we value and hold as truly good. Maybe it's family, maybe a new marriage, your relationships, friendships. Maybe you moved into a new home or you picked up a new car. Uh, Maybe it's a transition in job and career. Whatever it is, you name it. There are things in your life that are really good that you hold as good in your life. And we could probably list 10,000 good things that we have in life. And yet what's surprising to me is how quickly something that we value and esteem and cherish as good can become something we get so easily angry about. Something we can so easily become ungrateful for and want absolutely nothing to do with. And here's the worst part of it all. We do this with God, too. And this is where my metaphor falls short, because it's one thing to get frustrated with good things that are broken and sinful. It's insanity to get frustrated with God, who is always good. See, I treat God, who is perfect in goodness, like he isn't actually good all the time. Think about this with me. right? God is perfectly good. He has no faults. He is always loyal. He is always faithful. He keeps every single promise. In every uh, action towards us, he moves towards us in love and kindness and mercy. And we receive the benefits of his love, and we quickly and easily praise him in one moment. And isn't it true that in the very next moment, we can quickly question God's goodness when his timing is not what we imagine? Like how the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness and they were so quick to forget that God had rescued them from Egypt and Pharaoh. God had heard their cries for 400 years and sent the deliverer and rescued them. Just like the Israelites were quick to forget this, we're quick to grumble instead 
and we turn to other things to try to satisfy us. Instead of worshiping God and trusting in his goodness, we give our worship to the metaphorical golden calves of our culture and world, saying these are the things that save us. These are the things that satisfy us. We put our hopes and our trust into our careers, into our relationships, into money, into security. And when we do this, we treat God like our lives are so unfair because of him, as if God is the one who is unkind to us. And you know, something we forget all the time in our relationship with the Lord is that if there's anyone who paid an unfair price in the relationship, it's God. If there's anyone who got, quote unquote, ripped off, got the bad end of the deal, got the short end of the stick, it's God. It was God who paid the price for our sins, for our sinful and wicked hearts. It was God who gave up his own perfect, sinless son to rescue us from the death that we deserve. Now, when you think about God being on the end of such a bad deal, you would imagine he has every right to leave us and abandon us, say, no more. You keep coming to me. You commit the same things. No more. I'm done with you. I give you my kindness, and you trample on him. No more. I'm done with you. But God is so unlike us, where we would walk away and give up on someone who made a bad deal like that with us. He doesn't. He's committed to us, unchanging and faithful in his goodness towards us. This is the kind of good God that we have. God is good because that is who he is. He is the very essence, the very definition of goodness. And for us who believe, God's goodness towards us doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on me but it depends fully on Jesus who is perfect in righteousness and is perfect in obedience. And because of that, even though God gives and God takes, in all that he does, we can say as the people of God, God, you are still good. So the question is, if God is always good, how do you and I respond to God's unfathomable goodness in our lives? If I can extend that question a little bit, what's the right, healthy, appropriate response to God's goodness in your life? In 1 Thessalonians 5, Apostle Paul is finishing up his letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he's jam-packing this last section with final exhortations and conclusions. He's writing to them and just kind of stuffing, like pouring out his heart to the church there because uh, you have to remember, Paul and the church, they can't just jump on a Zoom call to see each other. Uh, they don't know when's the next time they're going to hear from Paul or see Paul. And so Paul, as he's closing out this message with love in his heart for this church, is just writing some exhortations to them, short kind of bursty ex exhortations. And he writes things like, in this passage, if you look at the greater context, he writes things like, uh, church, remember to respect your leaders. Be peaceful. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient. Always seek to do good. Don't quench the spirit. Test everything. Don't despise prophecies. Abstain from every kind of evil. And in the middle of these exhortations, he says, be joyful always, be prayerful all the time, and be thankful no matter what. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God for you. Think about this. Out of all the things that Paul could have exhorted the people of God to practice, thankfulness, gratitude, 
seems to be at the top of that list. Now, why is gratitude so important? I think gratitude is one of the most appropriate responses to, our, to the love and goodness of God. Uh, I think gratitude is one of the most appropriate responses to the love and goodness of God. It's, it's a heart posture that's at the root of all of our actions. If obedience is the fruit of our faith, I think gratitude is the sprout. It's the first thing that comes out of the seed of the gospel in our lives. Um, as Jonathan shared, I transitioned out of my pastorate in October, and uh, our family and I, we, we've been just taking this extended season of rest to just kind of renew and refresh before the Lord, reevaluate. Uh, and there have been so many unexpected blessings from God in this season, right? The kind where it's just so left field, it, it, no one saw it coming, and, and the generosity that I have received, the unexpected generosity that my family and I have received. Uh, to enjoy this season without worry. There's been so many gifts, and truthfully, when I receive these kinds of gifts, it's always kind of awkward for me because I don't know what to do or say when I receive those gifts. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm just at a loss for words. First, I'm shocked, and then I'm surprised, and then I feel undeserving, and then I insist, no, no, I can't take it. And I try to give it back, right? Like, the Asian blood in me is boiling. I'm like, I'm always trying to pay it back. Like, okay, honey, Rochelle, like, we got to remember how much they gave us because next time, we're going to give them the bigger gift. We're going to take them out to the nicer meal, right? I'm always trying to pay them back, and it's, it's awkward, and I don't know what to do when I receive such goodness. But you know what's beneath all of that insecurity? I just don't know how to be grateful. I'm always trying to add something to my gratitude, gratitude plus something else, because I feel like gratitude is not enough. But can I tell you this morning, this is what gratitude towards God often looks like. When we consider how over the top, off the charts, God's unconditional love and goodness towards us truly is, that he would freely give us his own son for us, it's just awkward. There's nothing to say or do but just whisper, thank you, thank you, God. And as insufficient as that might feel, somehow, thank you, those two small little words seem to be the only fitting words to express all that we feel. See, gratitude in the kingdom is not about trying to make it up to God. It's not trying to outgive God like God gives, and so we're going to give God our thanks by outgiving God as if God has a list or a track record. No, gratitude is simply the fact that we are overwhelmed by God's goodness we have nothing we can possibly give him that matches his worth and his generosity. And we just kind of awkwardly stumble into his presence and say, thank you, Lord. Paul says, give thanks. This is the will of God. When's the last time, friends, we were giving thanks to Jesus? See, some of us, I think, try so hard to make it up to God. Some of us are burning ourselves out, trying to find something to give him, something to build for him, something to match his generosity. And I want to tell you this morning, just give him your thanks. If I can put it another, another way, when we choose, when we choose to give thanks, it's an indication of how much we understand the goodness of God. When you understand how generous God is to you, if you can just sit there and say, you know you don't deserve it, but thank you, Lord. That's an 
uh, indication of how well you understand the gospel. It's a free gift for you. Now, this doesn't mean that we're thankful. Uh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, so we give thanks. We give thanks instead of trying to make it up to God. And we have an eternity to express our gratitude to him. And even forever is not enough to fully exhaust how good he truly is. So the command is give thanks for this is the will of God. If you believe that, can I get an amen? Amen. Now on to the hard part, okay? This, this first part is easy. It's the second part of this command that's difficult. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Anyone can give thanks when life is favorable and pleasant, when things are going your way. But only those who have the gospel, only those who have been transformed by the goodness of God can give thanks in every circumstance. Now, this doesn't mean we're thankful for bad things that are caused by sin, okay? It's right to grieve the bitterness of sin in our lives. Some of you are here, and maybe you are experiencing uh, some prolonged difficulty or trial. I'm going to get that, into that a little bit. But it is hard to give thanks, or you have been wronged, and it's, we're not giving thanks for the product and the fruit of sin in our lives. We ought to grieve sin and feel broken over it. But I want to submit to you, as citizens of heaven, as members of the kingdom that's already here but not yet, when we go through circumstances in life that are not pleasant for us, it means we also live in the tension of knowing that, yes, things are not as they should be, but one day they will be. And so we can give thanks. So when our circumstances are not the best... When Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, he's saying that we are to live as those marked by a kind of gratitude, a kind of thanksgiving that is unfamiliar to the world, one that is not bound or governed by our circumstances or our situations or our seasons in life, one that is not changing because of our every fickle whim and desire that changes left and right every day. But he says we are to be marked by a kind of gratitude that only will make sense if you understand and see how profoundly good Jesus is to you. That's why Paul says and commands, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. Now, I want to simplify this phrase, in all circumstances, to the past, the present, and the future, okay? There's no way, there's not enough time uh, to go through and explain every single uh, circumstance in life. And each circumstance is going to have grace and mercy for dealing with that circumstance. Uh, people process grief and trials differently. And so this is going to be a bit of an oversimplification, right? It's reductionistic. I, I could probably preach like a sermon on this, a series on each thing. Uh, uh, but, but we're just going to kind of bird's eye view. Uh, how can we give thanks in the past? Why can we give thanks in the present, and why can we give thanks for the future, okay? And so I hope that as we look at this, uh, that you'll be strengthened in your faith, and that the Spirit will encourage the practice of gratitude in your lives. And all of us, I think, struggle with each of these elements, uh, but maybe some more than others, okay? So three kind of areas that we want to look at before we close. Why can we give thanks in the midst of our broken pasts? Why can we give thanks when we face trouble in the present, and why can we give thanks for the uncontrollable future? Okay, so first, why can we give thanks in the midst of our broken pasts? Now, when we think about brokenness in our pasts, uh, there's three kinds of brokenness. There's brokenness that's done to us by others. 
There's brokenness that we have done to others, and there's brokenness that we have done to ourselves. Does that make sense? So when you think about your brokenness in your past, it's typically going to be one of the three, right? A brokenness, some kind of sin or brokenness that has manifested towards you, something that you've done to others, like you, can't, you have regret because you are broken and you acted out in your brokenness and you hurt someone else, or you have hurt yourself out of your own brokenness. So why can we give thanks in the midst of broken past? Because the gospel speaks to all three of them. The gospel speaks to all three kinds of brokenness. Why do we give thanks in the midst of our broken pasts? Because Jesus Christ redeems us from all of our brokenness. He redeems us from all of our past brokenness. In Christ, we are rescued from our brokenness, and we are given a new story. A story of wholeness, acceptance, freedom, rescue, and forgiveness. The Word of God tells us that God does not remember our sins. He does not remember our former sins. What does this mean? Does it mean that God forgets? No. It means even though what we did in the past or even though what has been committed against us in the past is real and true, it holds no weight, it holds no valid status in God's court of law because Jesus is truer and better. It's not that our brokenness is not real, it's just that it doesn't hold against the righteousness and perfection of Jesus who defends us before holy God. His word, Jesus, speaks a better word over us. If you have brokenness in your past, and all of us do, the good news is his blood is still enough for you to cleanse you and wash you of all of your sins and trespasses. And so if you're here and you struggle with getting over something that either has been done to you, that you've done to someone, or you have done to yourself in your past, you can still give thanks today. Because God takes what others, what the enemy, what you yourself may have done or meant for evil, and somehow through Jesus, in a wonderful and mysterious work of divine power, God makes it work for good. If you believe that, would you say amen? Whatever happened in your past is not the end of the story. There's a better reality. There's a better ending. There's a turnaround, a comeback chapter that God is always writing for those who are in Jesus. So we give thanks for the brokenness in our past. We can give thanks in the midst of, I should say, the brokenness in our past because we know Jesus redeems us from all of our brokenness. Now, why can we give thanks when we face trouble in the present? Because life is hard. Right? There's trouble. Trouble is always brewing. There's always another thing that wants to bring us down, kind of distract us and detract us from the Lord. We can give thanks when we face trouble in the present because Jesus' faithfulness is greater than our faithlessness. Jesus' faithfulness is greater than our faithlessness. God promises us in Jesus that we are not only redeemed from our pasts, but that we are covered with new mercy every day. It means that his faithfulness has not run out, his love for you has not dried up, that God continues to show mercy and mercy and mercy again to you every morning, saying, I'm still faithful today. 
I'm still faithful no matter what you did last night. I'm still faithful even if yesterday was the worst night of this month. I'm still faithful if you feel like you've already failed 2023. I'm still faithful. And the sign of that is his mercies are new every day. Saying, no matter how great your faithlessness, I am still faithful. Whenever, whatever troubles we face in the present, the one who's overcome the world promises to be with us. And the evidence of that is the spirit in us that draws us continually back to Christ. He points us back to Jesus who is faithful to us, drawing our attention to him. Some of you are here, and I'm sure it's been a long season. I don't know you uh, personally, and, and, and I think that's one of the challenges as a guest speaker. It's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you don't know what I'm going through, right? Like, I, I don't have to. Uh, it's, 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 it's enough to know that there are many of you, if not all of us here, who have gone through long seasons or are in a long season right now. In fact, some of you are here, and every day feels like it's a whole season on its own. Waking up every day is just the fight of your life. Maybe you have anxiety, maybe you have depression, maybe you're fighting something in your life, relational collapse, dysfunction in your family, and every day just feels like its own season. And yet, here you are this morning in the presence of God, singing truth, singing about the grace and mercy of God. How did you get here right now to this church, this very hour, this Sunday morning to sing and to pray and to receive God's goodness and remember his faithfulness? How did you get here? I want to read a poem for you. One night, I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to the Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand, and I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. And the poem ends like this. The Lord replied, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and suffering. When you only saw one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. See, this poem might be familiar to some of you, written by Mary Stevenson, is a simple and beautiful portrait of what God's faithfulness in our present troubles look like. When we are going through times that are difficult, it's a reminder to us we can give thanks because God promises, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. I will carry you. I will finish what I started. And it doesn't depend on you. I'm going to do it. See, we give thanks even when we face troubles, even when, we're, when our lives are going out of control and crazy because the promise we have in Scripture is that God will carry us to the finish line. It's not by the strength of our wills. It's not because of your zeal for God. No, we will make it to the end, friends, because God is faithful. If you believe that, would you say amen? Now, really briefly, uh, I, I just want to mention um, to those who are facing particularly difficult suffering, okay? 
um, because I think there are levels and kinds of uh, more weighty kinds of suffering, right? For example, like maybe it's a bad diagnosis for someone in your family. Uh, maybe in this season there's been unexpected loss of a loved one, uh, like a relational collapse. And you're here and you're hearing this and you're like, how do I give thanks in this? Like, it sounds good, but how do I give thanks in this moment? Now, I just want to make this really clear, okay? Uh, gratitude isn't about pretending that things are better than they are. Gratitude isn't about like, when I give thanks, I'm just going to pretend like things are better than they actually are. No. Gratitude is knowing, gratitude is the response that comes out of knowing, no matter how bad it gets, you're never alone. No matter how bad it gets, you're never alone. I think this is one of the best gifts God has to offer in our deepest sufferings. Because sometimes when we go through immense suffering and we know on this side of heaven the situation's not likely to change, I think in those moments when we feel most alone, when we feel most fearful and frightened, what we're looking for is someone who is just sitting with us, someone who understands, who sees and knows the pain that you and I are in, how scared we really are, and the great comfort of knowing that even when we are in darkness, still Jesus is there with us. That's the hope and comfort that God offers to us when we face trials and troubles of many kinds in this life, in the present. And lastly, why can we give thanks for the uncontrollable future? Simply because Jesus holds everything in the palm of his hands. You know, have you heard of the show The Last of Us? Anybody? Is it just me? Okay. Um, I'm not a huge, like, I, you know, I didn't watch, like, Singles Inferno or whatever, you know. Maybe that's, I should have done that. But uh, it's based off a video game, right? It, the, but the narrative, if you don't know, I'm going to just kind of explain it to you a little bit. But the narrative, the characters, the plot, it was so compelling. It was, like, getting such high regards and remarks that they turned this video game that's, like, 10 years old now into a TV show. And in the show, the basic plot line is this, okay? There's a pandemic where fungus have evolved to a point where they can infect humans and turn them into zombies, okay? And civilized humanity is thrown into chaos. Like in the first episode, maybe 30 minutes in, it's like everything is wonderful, and all of a sudden it's like things are blowing up, exploding, and then it's like it jumps 20 years and like the whole world is like broken, right? It's a literal fight for your life. Life as they know it is gone. And that's kind of the premise of the movie, and it kind of sounds like the last couple years, am I right? right? Like toilet paper? That's what throws an empire like America into utter and absolute chaos? Like, but what is this show tap, why is this show topping the charts right now? It's like a cultural landmark. I'm sure there's many reasons for this, but I think one of them is very simply the fact that the story is relatable. Not the zombies not the, 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 the fungal infection, but this idea that the future is unpredictable, unknown, and just a big what if. What if this person becomes president? What if the pandemic returns? It's kind of a test of the survival of the fittest. That's kind of, I think, what people are resonating with when it comes to this show. And I believe that actually for many of us, it's not just a TV show, whether you've watched it or not, but for some of us, it's a lived spiritual reality. We continue to live, check this out, we continue to live like we are in an unending spiritual pandemic. 
Our futures are uncontrollable, unpredictable, a big fat what if. What if my job is lost? What if my relationships don't work out? What if the thing I've been banking on falls through and it's not everything I'd hoped it to be? What if my savings dries up? What if my finances plummet? And we live life and our futures like a big what if. And so it's no wonder that whether you're in the church or out of the church, if you live and are driven by this idea that the future is an uncontrollable what if, it's no wonder that Many of us are scrambling in life to secure more. It's like trying to save water in your hands. It's never enough. It's always going out. It's always going to run out faster than you can carry it. We are driven by this idea, for those of us who struggle with anxiety about the future, we are driven by this idea that we need to prepare for the worst because no one's got our back. See, but the gospel is not a story of what if, but what is. It's not a story of uncontrolled chaos, a sum of chances, we don't know how it ends. No, the story of the gospel is a God who will not stop at anything, even though his people have run far from him. The gospel is a story of what is, that God will stop at nothing to reclaim and bring back his people and bring them into the promised land of his kingdom, no matter what. That's the unforshakable future story of the gospel that we are living into today. And so when we face the uncontrollable future, we can give thanks in this circumstance because we know there is a king on the throne. And this changes everything. If you know how the story ends, it changes everything. All of a sudden, your approach to life is not one of fear, not one of anxiety, but of ease, peace. When, if the disciples had only known in the boat that Jesus is Lord of the storm, no matter how much water gets in their boat, they would have relaxed. See, what we need is not the change in our circumstances. What will really secure and hold fast our souls in the midst of turbulent and unforeseeable future occurrences is knowing that Jesus holds everything in the palm of his hands then we can engage the world without fear. We can engage the world without anxiety. We can engage the world with peace, with quiet confidence and boldness, knowing there are lots of things in life that matter, but they're not ultimate. It doesn't ultimately matter who will become president in 2024. Yeah, it's important. You should still vote. But it doesn't ultimately matter it doesn't ultimately matter what happens to the financial market. These things are important, but they're not ultimate. What's ultimate in the midst of an unforeseeable future that everyone is trying to manipulate is that Jesus Christ reigns, and he will reign forever. His kingdom will come, and his will will be done. And if you are in Christ today, the wonderful promise we have is there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, not even death. We can give thanks for the uncontrollable future because Jesus holds everything in the palm of his hands. If you believe that, would you say amen? Amen. Now, if I can summarize for you very simply, the reason we can give thanks in all circumstances, the past, 
brokenness, present troubles, trials, and uncontrollable, unforeseen future occurrences. It's this. God's grace is sufficient for you. In everything that we go through, God's grace is enough. He's enough. Now, I guess this can be an application for us, but if you're having a hard time giving thanks, you know, you can't force gratitude. <laughs> uh, anybody ever try? It's really awkward. Like, you cannot force gratitude into your heart. You cannot squeeze thanksgiving out of you for something you're not seeing, something you're not savoring as good, something to be thankful for. So the application then is to meditate on how sufficient God's goodness really is to meditate on how God is sufficient both for your past, being sufficient for you in the present, and has not failed in those areas, and therefore you can trust him to be sufficient for you in your future. That God's grace is enough. And here's the thing. Here's what we should meditate so that we can grow in our understanding of. He's either enough for all of it, or he's enough for none of it. He's either going to be enough for all of it, or is not enough for any of it. He needs to be one or the other. And so we can meditate on this. God, show me. Show me how deep your grace really is. This is not a word of condemnation, and I hope you won't take it that way. It's my prayer, but an invitation. In this season, I'm just resting, and I'm, you know, I'm unemployed. My wife is part, like, not even part-time, like very, very minimally uh, working. And, um, you know, by God's grace, we've had some savings and we're able to use that and enjoy that. But in this season, as I'm just being kind of bombarded with uh, God's goodness unexpectedly, I'm realizing again, I'm kind of remembering and seeing like no one shows me more goodness in my life than God. No one is kinder to me than God. And yet what I'm realizing is God is the least thanked person in my life. Like, I always leave God's presence for getting to thank Him. But I'm learning, and I hope this is the invitation for you. It doesn't have to be this way. As the Lord is strengthening me in this season, I'm returning. And I guess the invitation for you is to return with me to the importance of this easily neglected practice of gratitude. To come and to awkwardly receive the abundance of God's goodness and just stumble forward sheepishly and say, thank you, Lord. Rooftops, I pray that you as a community, that we as a church, we would be thankful together to grow in giving thanks to our God both in frequency and in intensity. And this is a muscle that needs to be exercised, right? It's not just gonna come to you but I pray that the Holy Spirit would show us, even today, over lunch, this week, the Holy Spirit would show each of you that we have so many reasons already to give thanks. And that our response would not be one of guilt, because God takes no pleasure in that. That our response of giving to God our thanks would not be out of guilt, not be out of compulsion, not be because we have to, not because of a law that's put on us, no, but because we are glad. God loves a cheerful giver. Not out of insecurity or fear, but out of joy, humble joy. To give thanks to the Lord because he is really good. And his love, no matter what, endures forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.